His hands were fast and greedy under her blouse. I'm telling you. I know. What are greedy hands? Uh, uh, Josie's got the hand motions. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, oh, we need the visuals to, to go yeah. with the podcast. The greedy hands. Well, look at the hands on him. Those are greedy looking hands. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fiction Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to books and book lovers like us. I'm Josephine Angelini. I'm Lauren Sanchez. I'm Alyssa Hilfinger. And I'm Aileen Calderon. We're four childhood friends from the suburbs of Massachusetts. We've always loved to read, almost as much as we love to talk to each other. We started this podcast as a way to celebrate how a really good book can come into your life and change it. So if you're looking for fun and engaging conversations about books, stick around. This is Fiction Between Friends, and we're glad you've joined us. Welcome back. This is Episode 8, Season 1. I'm Josephine Angelini, and joining me are my dear friends, Aileen Calderon. Hi. Lauren Sanchez. Hello. And Alyssa Hilfinger. Hi. Before we get started, I just want to remind our listeners to please not forget to leave a rating, or better yet, a brief review on Apple Podcasts. Alyssa promises to start reading her books from the beginning when we get to 100. (laughs) Anyway, how's everyone doing? Alyssa, did you hear that? I guess I'm tied into that then. (laughs) That's funny. I know, I get so impatient. I think that's really what it is. I'm just an impatient person. No, it's weird too. <laughs> I mean, is it though? Is it really weird? I mean, yeah, but it, I mean, it's charming. It really Don't isn't. say it's charming and weird. It can't be both. Yes, it can. Endearing. 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 That's it. Yes. Yeah, it is what it is. I'm okay it with it. It is what it is. I just, I had like, I gotta, I gotta admit, like, I've read this book twice, so I feel prepared to talk about it, but I just had, like, my husband had ankle surgery oh. and my daughter came down with a terrible cold literally on the same day. <laughs> so I had to keep the two of them separated and I was like waiting on them, like going, because he couldn't catch her cold or it would interfere with his healing, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so I was like <laughs> running from room to room, bringing soup over here and tissues over there. And you know how kids are. I mean, she's seven, but when kids are sick, they just want to climb all over you right. and like they want to cuddle you and be on top of you. And oh my God, it was it's just, a lot. it was like for, and she, she was sick for days and like throwing up at night and just, oh, was, is she better? She is. She's fine now. And it wasn't anything. It was like we got her tested for strep and covid and ear infection and blah, blah, nothing it was just like a bad cold yeah these colds and stomach flus are going around and it's you know and it freaked me out too because i was sleeping with my daughter and while she was laying down still asleep i heard her go and i was oh, like no. oh my god and she's got really like waist length hair it's like really long and really thick and so i just grabbed her by her <laughs> hair and pulled her head up <laughs> because i was like oh my god john bono and not even drunk. She's going to drown in her sleep. And I was like, oh my God. It sucks about getting sick now because you have to worry about COVID on yeah. top of everything yeah. else. It's not yep. just an annoying cold. It's like, yeah. oh, we're going to have to quarantine. Is this really serious? Yeah. yeah. I had to separate the two of them. And then I was like, can I even go into the room with him? Because maybe I'm carrying it and I don't know. And yeah, anyway. It was actually, I've been thinking about the whole pandemic thing. Just because I feel like we're going, we're closing in on like two years of this mm-hmm. thing and we're all sort of adapted to life and it's, this is normal, but it's not quite normal. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was just thinking about the things in my life that have changed the most, like just daily things. Like, I think the biggest thing for me yeah. is I work from home now, like all the time. 
which mm-hmm. on one hand is great because I don't have to deal with getting on a train and commuting into New York City and figuring out if my husband or I am going to be the one to leave work early to get our child from childcare and get home. But also it's like I'm in my house all the time. Like in the morning, like I make myself go for a walk just to like get out and do something. So otherwise mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, you just wake up, throw on sweatpants, turn on your computer and stare at a screen all day. Welcome to my life. Josie, has your life changed a lot since the pandemic or is this uh, like, are we living your life? Is this what it's always been? It's what my life, so except I go out less. Wait, so how, do, how does your, like, what's the structure of your day? Like how many hours do you spend writing? I can only write in short bursts because I, I'm a very slow reader, actually. I'm ADHD. I'm, I'm dyslexic. I, it's so weird that I chose to be a writer because you think that that would not be the right <laughs> thing for me at all. But um, I can only work in short bursts. So that's what I do. But I get a lot done when I mm. sit down and I work. And so that's... So you actually sit and focus for like two hours at a time. Like there's no screwing around on the internet or like you sit and you no, just write No, I don't go on time. the internet. No, I just, I sit. Well, I don't sit for that entire time. My office, the way it's set up, it's just, it's my desk in a corner and then like a bed behind me, as you can see. There's like a place for me to lay down if I need to lay down and think. And the rest of it is just open. So that I can pace, I can move around, I can do yoga. Like I'll stop sometimes and I'll just stretch for a few minutes if I'm stuck because moving my body really helps me. And um, yeah, that I don't actually sit for very long. Like I, I, I'll sit for like 10 minutes. I'll write in a burst. I'll get up. I'll talk to myself. I look like a crazy person. Like I look insane when oh I'm- Oh my God. I think you need to set up a webcam so, so we can watch like time-lapse footage of Josephine Angelini writing. I listen to music sometimes in the background. Sometimes I don't, but I'm I'm usually talking to myself like the whole time. I'm like, (laughs) oh, I look nuts. Um, Yeah, that's that's it. Wow. Okay, so yeah, let's start talking about books. I think this is a pretty good time. So Aileen, what did you read this week? So I read Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner. Um, I love her books. I think I've read every single one of them. I just randomly picked one I'd read recently to reread and discuss here. Uh, But what I realized, like her books definitely fall into the category of women's fiction, which I think we've Mm -hmm. all read something from that category. Mm -hmm. It is my favorite category of books. I hate that it's called women's fiction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I realize I feel kind of embarrassed owning the fact that this is the category of books that I enjoy reading. It's better than chiclet. I know. But it makes it, us it sound just, like gum. <laughs> I, I know. At least we, we moved on from that. But I think we've talked about this before. Like, there's no men's fiction. So it's just weird that there's this category of women's fiction. But they're, they're all books about women and their relationships and their struggles and trials and tribulations. And like, I think it's just interesting that women are drawn to books about women going through dealing with relationships and all of those things. Like. Well, you identify, you find characters that you identify with. No, because here's the thing. Books like Dr. Zhivago, that was written by a man. And it's all about, it's a love story. So I just don't understand why if a woman writes it and it has a main character who's female, everyone naturally assumes that it's, if there's any love story in it at all, that it's a love story. Maybe that sells better. Maybe that's like when they're looking mm. at who they're, the audience they're trying to reach. Um, anyway, so this book is called Big Summer, and it's about a woman in her 20s who is an Instagram influencer, <laughs> which is so, it's so interesting to read a modern book that's yeah. talking about that, because right? we all know that's just part of our world now. Um, but she's this woman, she's, she's kind of overweight, she's overweight, so that's, she's learned how to embrace that and sort of done that through social media and, 
you know, she has different brands who are sponsoring her. She also likes to craft and sell things on Etsy. Um, I think she's also like a nanny. So she kind of has all these jobs she cobbles together. Um, so she's just like this kind of fun character. And then a friend of hers from her past all of a sudden reappears. And it's this girl, Drew, who was beautiful and rich and popular. And they were best friends all through school. But she was also Drew was also just really cruel. She was one of the mean girls. She was Mm -hmm. the girl who would pick on everyone else. And because her family had money and because she was pretty, she would get away with whatever she wanted. And um, the main character whose name I'm blanking on right now and Drew had a falling out and stopped talking. And then suddenly Drew reappears because she's getting married. She's (laughs) she's marrying um, a reality show star. as and, one does. Yes. And she realizes she has no friends to be in her wedding. So she asks this woman to be her maid of honor. So oh. um, they kind of rekindle their friendship. And then it's the story of them becoming friends again, um, the wedding. And then there's actually a murder that happens. So it no. kind of takes Whoa. this turn. Yes, I did I, not see that coming. No, out of nowhere. <laughs> it's very, it's kind of, it's different for a Jennifer Weiner book. Like usually there's not people dying or getting killed in her books. Right. So there's, there's like a murder mystery and then there's like a mystery man and there's a romance. Um, so it's definitely, it falls into the category of like a, a beach read, which I also mm. love beach reads. I don't know yeah. why they need to be oh, called beach too. reads. Can we just call them like couch reads or at home reads or anytime you want to read, read. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I really like this book and I like her books because I feel like I can always somehow relate to her characters. Like this woman lives in New York City. I just love mm. reading about people who live in New York City. Do you City. miss New York, Aileen? I still dream I, about it. I haven't lived there in 20 years and I still have dreams. Like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, ah. I'm late for my rent in my apartment. Like I have like these anxiety dreams about it still, but I miss it. You know, I don't miss, I mean, I'm still so close to it. We go back and visit. So I don't, I don't miss it. But I remember even when I was living there, I was aware of how lucky I was to live there. I mean, we, you know, we lived a half block from Central Park and, you know, I could Mm -hmm. walk to Broadway and see a show. And I'm like, people come from all over the world to visit this city. And it's all just right here in front of me at all times. And like, I always try to appreciate it because it, it is like it's an amazing special place, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy in New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um, but there, I want to read this one passage from the book that just it describes Drew and um, the main character. Fuck, I'm blanking on her name. Um, their, their relationship when they were in school together. Um, I knew that on Monday there was every chance she would ignore me. It wouldn't matter. I would still want to be her friend because she was everything I wanted to be. She was beautiful and funny and glamorous, a long unfurled ribbon of cool where I was a sweaty pretzel knot of striving. Mm. I wanted her to be my friend. I wanted her to tell me her secrets. I wanted to be pretty by association, if not in real life. I wanted her intermittent kindness and as much of her company as she'd give me. I wanted to be just like her. And if I couldn't, I at least wanted to be by her side. Whatever she needed me from me, I would give her. Whatever she needed needed done, I would do. Wow, that reminds me so much of my my thirteen year old and her best friend. Really? Yeah, just makes me think of them. You know? It, yeah, it makes you think about just those relationships in high school. I feel like we all sort of had those. There, there were always coattails you wanted to to try and ride. Yeah. For me, it it reminds me of she's an Instagrammer, right? But isn't that what we do when we follow someone on Instagram? It's like. Mm. We're, we're watching these people because it's aspirational. Like we yeah. want, I don't know, there's something, there's something very linked thematically with what she does and how she used to look up to this girl hmm. or want to yeah. be that girl. 
Yeah. yeah. And want to be perceived, just being caught up in how mm-hmm. you're perceived and just constantly thinking about how people are thinking about you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's, it's this weird jealousy based, like that's the currency yeah. in their relationship rather than understanding. And it's, uh, it's so terrible. I mean, it's just, it's just, yeah, just horrible un- about yourself. Did they become friends again, though, when they rekindled the friendship? Genuine friends and not just like. Not really. They they become friends and throughout the book Drew is just horrible to everyone. Like mm. no one really likes her. She's there and there you learn there are reasons why she is the way she is as is always the case. But um, she just doesn't treat people well at all ever. But she gets away with it because she's beautiful, because she's mm. rich, because she has things I think that other people want and value. Mm. She just mm-hmm. gets away with acting like that. Wait, there was another one. Hmm. Oh, and then this passage just about. Because the whole Instagram influencer thing, I, it still blows my... I mean, I work in advertising, so I've worked for brands that have paid Instagram influencers to talk about a product. And it still blows my mind that it's actually a thing and that people yeah. make a living on yeah, social like media. made-up job. Yeah. Like when we were kids, like that we would just be a made-up job. <laughs> yeah. And even yeah. when social media first became a thing and in my job, my brands were starting to use it. I was like, I can't believe this is becoming part of my job. Like It, yeah. it feels like such a fleeting thing that's not going to last. And it's lasted pretty long so far. Um, So um, this is her talking about her, her account. If I landed the collaboration, it would mean that the money I earned as an influencer would be more than the money I made doing my regular 20 hour a week babysitting gig and possibly even more than my dog's account was bringing in. (laughs) Her dog dog has an account, which is a real thing. That's smart. I mean, I feel like I'm doing the wrong thing. I might you are a great looking dog. Why not? <laughs> you know, my husband and I have talked a lot about this. He, he says, you know, there's a reason, especially here in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and there's this big shortest shortage for wait staff. And there never used to be. It used mm-hmm. to be like, if you wanted to find a pretty young girl to be the hostess, that was easy in Los Angeles because everyone comes here with big dreams, blah, blah, blah. Um, and now there's no, that people are having a hard time staffing their restaurants and and it's because everyone's, they're on TikTok and they can make oh. more money doing that. Oh, bless you, sweetie. They can make more money doing that for way less hours and like not have to put up with other people and their nonsense. I used to wait tables and bartend, so I know what that nonsense is. Oh, me too. <laughs> and they can make tons of money just being young and cute on yeah. TikTok. And it's like, yeah. oh, now it's like Los Angeles is going behind the bar. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's, it's like you, we, we all joke about working in restaurants, but I mean, I, I did it too. And you learn a lot of really valuable mm-hmm. life lessons oh, working in yeah. a restaurant. Yes, like, mm-hmm. You, oh, you so learn much. how to be pleasant to people, even when they're not being pleasant to you. You learn how to like multitask and do a million different things mm-hmm. at once, how to just kind of win people over and be charming and deal with and problems on the your fly. feelings down way far, yes. way far. Just keep stuffing them down. And tell yourself, I don't matter. I don't matter. I need the <laughs> I tips. Don't <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to speak up for myself at right. all. Uh, it seems lonely, though. I can't imagine not having human contact. And, and it yeah. feels like you do. It feels like you're having contact with people because they can see you and they can hear you and you have an audience. But there's no there's no actual face to face or anyone challenging anything you're doing in the moment. I just think it would be pretty lonely. That was that was the biggest challenge of teaching remotely is not yeah. having the interpersonal interactions. It was 
Oh, it was wretched. Nothing makes me lonelier than having to go on and do social media. Nothing makes me feel like more empty than having to scroll mm-hmm. through Twitter. I don't know what it is. It actually, yeah. even it, I, I don't have like bad interactions with people and social media. I'm, I've always had, you know, very supportive readers and people who are just coming to say, thank you. I love this book. And this is what it meant to me. And it, I'll have these wonderful exchanges with people, but I'll put my phone down and I just feel empty. It's it feels the kind of artificial. It it's feels wrong. Yeah, yeah, it feels wrong. Even though people are being genuine with me and loving and wonderful. And, mm. you know, I, I, I get like, um, I have amazing, I have an amazing support system from my readers. I still, for some reason, it gives me anxiety every time I pick it up and I put it down feeling like something was taken from, you know, that old, what was that old myth? It wasn't there like there was this tribe in the Amazon jungle who wouldn't let people take pictures of them because mm. every time you took a picture, they felt like it took a part of their soul. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. if that turns out to be real? <laughs> like, we all have no souls. We're slowly like removing our souls one selfie at a time. Josie, do you like, do you set a time, do you set aside time every day to go on social media or do you yeah, just constantly to pick it up and look at it? No, no, I don't. I, if I didn't say, now I'm going to do it, I would never do it. Because it does, I don't know. I think I'm one of those people who have anxiety over it or something. It just makes me feel wrong. Like there's something wrong about it. Like I'd rather look that person in the eye and mm-hmm. listen to them and talk with them. I mean, it's de- it's destroying civilization. It really is. I'm still on it all the time, but there's no way it's good for us. I know. It's also like with Instagram, it was called Instagram because it was you were supposed to just capture real moments of your life and post yeah. them and show the way things really were. And that's how it started. And then it turned into like, oh, look at this cool filter and you can make yourself look like this and, and you spend half an hour posing and looking curated. perfect. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then and then people were upset because things look too curated. So now it's like, yeah. well, I want to see how you really are. So I think people spend a lot of time trying to make their messy lives look messy in a perfect way. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's still, <laughs> it looks good, but it's like, oh, I'm giving you a glimpse of my real life. But, but the, way that's real. Social, it's the way that social media is set up, it's not set up for real social exchange. It's set up to make you it's quantified, right? How many likes did you get? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. many people shared this? Um, it's set up to, no matter how many likes you get, it's never enough. So if you're constantly measuring yourself, you're always going to feel less than. Like that's yeah. just a known fact. It's like, it's the same reason that people keep going back to casinos and like pulling the yeah. one-armed bandit is because I mean, it's never enough. It'll I mean, never they've been, be enough. Yeah, they've done studies and it's, yeah. Like it's designed to mess with your brain and to make you want more. So in the book, does she ever talk about um, if if she feels fulfilled by her job? So I think she initially so she gets on social media initially because it's actually when she the night that she has a falling out with Drew, um, she gets fat shamed in a bar and she ends up just going off on this guy and telling him to go to hell and people film it and it ends up on YouTube. So suddenly she has all of this Mm -hmm. attention. So she decides to take it and harness all that attention and turn it into something positive. So Hmm. initially, I think it's something that really makes her feel fulfilled because suddenly she has all these followers and all these people telling her how amazing she is. And it doesn't matter that she's overweight and brands want to support her. So I think it's something that kind of helps her grow and like helps her develop some self-esteem. But then I mean, at one point she meets a guy who is not on social media at all. And they start hanging out. And every time she picks up her phone, he's like, could you not do that? And she's like, but yeah. it's my job. And then she yeah. starts to kind of realize that she's been living in this in this fantasy world and she needs to pull herself out of mm-hmm. it and 
kind of t- deal with the real people in her life. So I think she's aware of her weird relationship with it. And also, you know, just not trying to seem too perfect. And the fact that she does have fans and she wants to make sure they see the real her and all of that. But mm. it it's funny. It's it's interesting reading a book that talks about a social media influencer because it's hard to read it without kind of rolling your eyes because I think <laughs> we all look at them yeah. and we're like, really, that's what you do? But she's she's a very endearing, likable character. So mm-hmm. you kind of feel like you understand how she how she started doing it and why she would do it. I mean, it's a really quick, easy way to make money. But do you feel like with Jennifer Weinert that those lovable characters, those characters that you relate to that are complicated, it's not just like, oh, she was she had a rough childhood and so now we all feel bad for her and, and she's also now we all love her, but she writes these, would you say that that's like a hallmark of her stuff? Like Definitely. Like she definitely writes, again, this this felt like one of her kind of fluffier reads, which I'm totally okay with because I'm all about fluffy reads. Oh, bring me the fluff. <laughs> I don't want to have, I don't want to be sad. I don't like, I just want something that's going to grab yeah. my attention and suck me in. But yeah, her characters are usually they're usually flawed. They're pretty complex. They have interesting relationships with different people in their lives. There's always some romance, mm. but there's usually like some family stuff and some struggles and it like really interesting involved storylines. And mm. I feel like when you talk about like beach reads and stuff, there are a lot of them out there that are really popular and you start reading them and you're like, this is crap. This is so poorly written. <laughs> yeah. And the thing I love about her books is it falls into the beach read category sometimes. Sometimes it's a little more because the plot pop- moves, right? The, yeah, it moves and along, she's and she's right? a she's a great writer. Like she just describes the setting really well. She describes her characters really well. Yeah, there's always something interesting or unexpected happening, and you. I, I feel I feel good about myself reading it because I'm like it's the fluffy stuff that I like. But she's just such an excellent writer, and just yeah. every book she writes. The minute I see she has a book out, I want to read it, and I think we've talked about this before, but it's hard to do that. Like, how do you keep churning out books with the, all these different types of characters that really grab people in? I think she's had so many New York Times bestsellers. Obviously, she yeah. has a huge following now, but her books are just consistently good. A bunch of them have been made into movies. Good in Bed, In Her Shoes, I think was the one with uh, Cameron Diaz. And it's always, I mean, it's always centered around women. It's women's relationships and the women are always, you know, somehow flawed, like overweight. It's not a flaw. Yes, that's that's true. That's true. It's called genetics. <laughs> but but it's sort of it's always like when the character is overweight, she always makes a point to mention it and talk about it. And it's it's part of how the character is built. You know, it's it's sort of an, an important part part of that person's identity. Um, but she also had one book where one of the characters was like in a wheelchair, you know, which is <laughs> something that you don't always read. Representation is important. Yeah. So I just every time I see that there's one of her books that I haven't read, I get excited <laughs> and I want to read it. So are we going to Alyssa next or Lauren? Like, Alyssa, do you want to cut or can we go to Lauren? Because I want to hear what this saucy Minx was reading. I know. Lauren, my goodness. Um, oh, yeah. Saucy Minx here. Well, it's like last week you guys were, you know, saying I was just like too good. So I had to I have to bring it this week. Um but let me just preface this by saying last winter, I was watching a lot of Netflix and I ended up watching the whole first season of Virgin River, which is based on Robin Carr's series. And I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, nothing really special about the acting or or even the plot, but it I, I really liked the the characters. So as per usual, once I really enjoy the characters, I, I pursue it. You know, I'll look for... Um, I'll continue reading a series uh, if something's on TV. You know, I'll continue to want to to uh, read it or find something like it. 
And so I looked it up and it turns out Robin Carr had written the series. So of course I had to go and read it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the characters in the book are Mel and Jack. Mel's a nurse. Jack is a, he's a, a veteran and he owns a bar in this town, Virgin River. And I could go into this book, but there's really not a whole lot to say it, about it, except that I feel like Robin Carr, she, she trained as a nurse and her husband was in the air in the air force, I believe. So I feel like she really does pull a little bit from her personal experiences when she writes. She often writes about veterans. Um, I was wondering, I was wondering, cause mm-hmm. I read the Virgin River, I read her first yeah. book. And there was a lot of stuff in there. She's a midwife. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff in it where I was like, well, that's just not something you know. You know, right. I, mean? I don't right. even know if that's something you can right. look she, up. She there does was all include, this talk about um, ER rooms and right. doc, the doctor nurse relationship and right. all that stuff that I found really fascinating. Right. So, and she does that also in other, in, um, in Grace Valley as well, where there's a, a family practice and a female doctor. Um, so it is definitely a theme and veterans are definitely a theme in her book. But she also writes about social themes like poverty, domestic abuse, um, you know, things like that and, and mental mental health in her yeah, books. So, like, there's like this family that's sort of living out in the woods in Virgin River yeah. and like and there's the whole meth situation going yes. on there. And there's yeah. also pot growers that are right. out there. And that happens a lot in here in the Pacific yeah. Northwest. There's like all this open land and people yeah. just are like, I'm going to grow some pot on it. Yeah, that seemed a little, for me, as a, nor- a Northeastern, a Northeasterner, does that sound right? I mean, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seemed a little odd to me, but yeah, I think that that's definitely a West Coast thing. <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. But where I was going with this is that I went, when I pursued the books, like lately, because I'm in, I'm pursuing my master's, I haven't been able to sit and read a book, a physical book. So I looked, I found all of her books um, on Hoopla, which I, it's a subscription I get through the library I work at. You should all look into that because it's free. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I started listening to these books on CD and it was like one after the other, after the, the uh, Virgin River series. There's a lot in that series. Um, and then when I finished that, I started Thunder Point. Um, then there's Sullivan's Crossing, there's Grace Valley, and then there's a bunch of standalones. But where I'm going with this is that I love listening to these books because I love the the idea that it's brain candy, that I can get involved with the characters in the community. I care about them. And I think Robin Carr, they're, they're grocery store paperbacks for sure. But there's something nice about these, you know. There's sex, which we'll get to. But the, the person who reads these books, her name is Therese Plummer, and she is fabulous. She's won the Audi Award. Um, the what award? The Audi the- Award for audible um, audiobooks. So people who read audiobooks, this is gotcha. an award that's pre- very prestigious for them. Um, she can do different voices uh, very well. I don't know how she switches between female, male. I don't know. Does she press pause? Because I wouldn't be able to do that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> children's voices elderly she's pretty amazing um and so she's probably the only reason i've stuck with this series besides the fact that i i like them um she's fantastic but honestly if you're looking for a good read that might like i don't know raise your temperature a little bit because it's steamy i recommend robin carr and i'm not going to read the excerpt from it because i i just can't it's, why can't why can't you learn? Because I can't 
openly say those words. <laughs> Come on, just do it. Give it a shot. But Alyssa, the scientist, has oh, no problem okay. doing oh, that. Oh, my God. Alyssa <laughs> put on her reading glasses. She, it's like Ben Franklin's about to read a sex scene to us. <laughs> um, although I realize there's... um. These are not my cute reading glasses. My cute reading glasses are at school. These, yeah, these I do look like Ben Franklin. <laughs> um, there, some of this is going to make me wildly uncomfortable, but I realize there are parts that I, like I could read the middle part, which, which is suggestive without, you know, like some of the words. Do you want me to just do the whole thing? Just do, do it, it, Alyssa. All right. Oh, no, on top of this. Just so that everybody can get the visual. She's wearing these half-moon Ben Franklin reading, and she's got a little dog on her left. I know. I might have to put Cooper down for this. <clears throat> All right. This get whole ready. thing, there's a, this is going to be long. That's what she said. <laughs> uh, all right. One of his big hands went under her, between her legs, his palm flush against her, pushing, rubbing. She wished she had come to him naked, saving time. Beneath her thighs and buttocks, she felt him grow. She ached so deeply, wanted so much to be full of him, full of passion and love. He lifted her. He carried her. She had never before been carried to bed. With her arms around him, she kissed his neck, licking in the taste of him, floating in his arms up the stairs. As they approached his bedroom, she lifted her head, glancing anxiously towards the bedroom where the children slept. Mike, she whispered. We'll close the door, he said, entering and doing so. They tumbled onto the bed together, their hands <laughs> moving wildly over each other, struggling with clothing, desperate to get it out of the way. Do you want me to use something, he asked her. Can you? Yes, he said, sure. But he didn't stop kissing her or pulling at her clothing. He tugged at her jeans, her underwear, burying his head in her. Mike, <laughs> she whispered against his open mouth. Mike. Okay, hold on. I'm going to pause. <laughs> Let me just say, I actually really like how Robin Carr always brings up the birth control thing. Always, I think right? It's yeah, really, I think that's really smart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> oh, they couldn't simply kiss for a while. First, Chris realized, as if on a date, she lived in his house. She had come to him and put her arms around his neck. It was not a seduction and could not be misconstrued as one. It was surrender. Until now, they both had reigned in their desires knowing it without speaking of it until they were ready for all of each other. She would not have played with his delicate restraint. She wouldn't lean toward him, inviting, until she was prepared to take him into her body, and this unspoken fact was understood by them both. That was why his hands were fast. <clears throat> Sorry. That is why <laughs> his no, hands were fast and greedy under her, under her blouse, her bra. I want to touch you, he said, every part of you, every part. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Alyssa, I think you have a future yeah. in doing this. Like, uh, reading audio books. Well, that's what I'm trying to get. It takes, I, I mean, that would be woman, very difficult to read. And she does it so well. She's mm -hmm. my, she's my go-to audiobook reader. So I don't know what I'm going to do when I exhaust Therese, Therese Plummer. I'll have to find somebody else. But Wait, so you're actually <laughs> pick, picking books based on whether she reads them? Yes. Oh, I searched for her. Amazing. I know. She's that's so great. good. And and she did do Tender as the Night by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And apparently it's it's amazing. So she's she does and she's done children's books too. So she's really got a repertoire. Yeah. So I, I think that if if we have our listeners are looking for some good women's fiction 
as we've discussed. <laughs> well, you um, have to have a romance novel in there. You do, like and you nice fill room. the bathtub, put it on your phone, listen to it, just relax. and Don't bring the phone into the bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, either it'll put you in the mood. <laughs> I mean, audio, audio lets you go hands-free. So. That's right. That's right. It's perfect for romance, yeah. right? Yeah. And you'd be amazed at some of the things that are advertised in the Sharper Image catalog now. I haven't seen you know, it. I've never seen it. I don't know. Oh, are vibrators in there? Is that what oh, we're yeah. getting at? Oh, yeah. But they're called personal massagers. Uh, All shapes and sizes, uh-huh. too, right? Here we go. Mm-hmm. I tried to um, point it out to my husband, and he was like, what? It's a personal massager. What? I'm like, take a look at this. And it's a very personal massager. <laughs> right. And he was like, I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. I'm like, it, it, he was shocked when I kind of decoded what was what was going on with the suggestive picture of it against a naked leg on the edge of a bathtub. And who massages the edge of their leg? Like who? who like, oh, yeah, my shin. I don't know. Maybe people have have weird fetishes. We're all four boring girls from Massachusetts. <laughs> no fetishes. Really. I just like sex. Just that's it. So, Alyssa, what did you read this week? I read Helen Fielding's Bridget Jones's Diary. And oh yeah, classic. Good one. Yes, <laughs> late '90s book. I think it '96 um, mm-hmm. won book award in '97. The movie came out in the early 2000s, and as I reread the book all i could picture was the movie characters and mm. and i realized that this is one of the books that i really enjoyed the movie i didn't feel like it took anything away from the book yeah and the the characters the way they that were the actors the way they played the characters really added depth to the characters um so it was it was a nice going back and rereading even though i had all these images in my head that weren't there originally when i read the story so bridget jones's diary is written as a diary a series of diary entries over the course of a year and it starts with january 1st and goes all the way through december and it's a woman in london in her early 30s uh, living a singleton life and chronicles just the mundane everything on a day-to-day basis. Um, mm-hmm. But it's done, the vice through which uh, it's portrayed is, as I said, it's written as a diary. And so there are abbreviations. There's no pronouns anywhere, um, mm-hmm. really, with the way, um, if it's if it's the journal entry style, it's it definitely adds immediate awareness to this character. And yeah. in a particular... I don't know, flavor that that she has with how she approaches things. Um, there's some things in it that, you know, you kind of take for your or you kind of squint a little and you're like, OK, well, I don't know that somebody would really be recounting an entire conversation word for word in their diary. Right. Right. But, it, you know, it's it's a good way to get get across the information. Um, when I went to look up just whatever I could find, I was curious about the history of the book and. I mean, just any any other tidbits of knowledge. There's really a divide for as as well received as this book was. There's a big divide with people who loved it versus those who hated it. Um, <laughs> just in because she starts every entry starts with her chronicling, and I can just flip to any page. Her weight, uh, the number of cigarettes that she's smoked, the number <laughs> of drinks that she's had, and the number of calories that she has taken in. And so she's she's very 
aware of how she looks and what she's eating and drinking too much. This woman drinks a lot. Uh, yeah, really? The, yeah. <laughs> at the end, she caps her year in review with all of these. Um, and she says she had 114 non-hangover days. Um, it You know, it starts with she works in publication. She's low person on in the hierarchy. <laughs> she has a flirtatious back and forth, totally inappropriate with her boss, Daniel Kleber, who is flirty. And I, I mean, none of this would be okay. They have no. an affair on again, off again. She has a core group of friends that I love. Um, at a moment's notice, she can call them up. Sharon, Jude, uh, Tom, and they'll all meet in the pub and they'll talk and they're constantly giving her advice and they're always calling each other from the bathrooms at work, the various places that they work. And so they help her deal with this Daniel Cleaver obsession. Her parents are a nightmare. Her mom is overbearing, always trying to set her up with someone. And it just chronicles her career. She changes jobs. She starts to work in a television agency. And that is no better. She goes from, you know, the the inappropriate flirtatious boss at the book publication company to the inept sexual harassing boss at the TV publication place. And, you know, she can't ever quite realize what she's in. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that people... For the critics of it, they're like, why is why does she put up with this? Why does she talk about wanting the attention of these men? And why is she always so consumed with her weight and how she looks? And but she's funny. She's relatable. It's genuine. But it's say, genuine too. I, and that upsets I mean, me that people say why, because let's face it, like women do that. It's unfortunate that we do obsess about certain things, right. but I and mean she, it's relatable. And she has and, 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 Oh, and we're ahead. reading we're, we're reading her diary. So you're getting right. a glimpse into her brain and right. things that are happening in her brain. So it makes you feel like you're you're hearing things that probably she's not proud of, but she's right. it's being shared. Right. And it's true. Right. <laughs> and one of the things that she says is wise people will say Daniel should like me just as I am. But I am a child of cosmopolitan culture, have been traumatized by supermodels and too many quizzes to know that neither my personality nor my body is up to it if left to its own devices. I can't take the pressure. I'm going to cancel and spend the evening eating donuts in a cardigan with egg on it. You know, so so she does. Yes, please. <laughs> acknowledge all of the social pressures. Yeah. Um, And she's very funny and she does stand up for herself. But I mean, there are several times when she gives the various men you know, a what for. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, haven't we all kind of put up with it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. We've all, we've all put up with that. She's just talking about the day-to-day life, especially in the mid to late 90s. Oh, I mean, yeah. that was day rigor. It's mm-hmm. like, you can't change the way things used to be. One of the yeah. ways that I did not see the book until I read some of the commentary on it is it is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. With, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. With, um, you know, the... The bad boyfriend who actually is a fuckwit, according to, you know, uh, <laughs> such a good word. It is. Oh, it's such a good word. <laughs> so he wronged Mark Darcy. So and and the name is Mr. Darcy. Is right. Just perfect. So so you have the, the fuckwit Daniel and then you have Mark Darcy. But her mother is overbearing and her family gets into trouble. And because the mother ends up running off and having an affair and the family kind of falls apart, but the mother ends up in legal trouble because 
the mother's boyfriend is is doing some shady financial dealing, but Mark has to go undo right. all of that. Yeah. Oh, just like Mr. And, yeah, Darcy. It's coming yes, all back this. now. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, you know, uh, well, in so when they first meet, right at the beginning of the story, um, Mark Darcy and Bridget meet and he's unforgivably rude and She's like, I don't like him. He's a jerk. Um, and so then, of course, as the story unfolds, she realizes why he was a jerk and that he really is a good guy and he saved her family. And so it ends with them getting together. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's cute. I like that it's it written cute. as a journal. Every chapter is a different month. It's fun. And I do like the movie a lot. I li- I really like um, Hugh Grant in that. Yes. <laughs> Hugh Grant. He he brought so all of these. It's a very devicey book, though. There's like, mm-hmm. you know, this is January and this is how much I went. So there are all these devices in it. And she's, you know, got to check all these boxes. And you said that it, it gets sort of strained in places where she's recounting entire verbatim conversations. Yeah. But apart from that, it's, it's sort of like I can't think of that many other books that have used these particular devices. I mean, there are lots of books that talk that break it up into months like uh-huh. they break up mm-hmm. it's going to be over the span of a year and i'm going to talk about it in months but she also gets that extra layer of what it is to be a woman like i'm not supposed to drink too much i'm not supposed to smoke right. too much i'm not supposed to eat ice cream i'm not supposed to you know like all of this stuff that society tells us we are mm-hmm. and aren't supposed to do so she's trying to keep track of it like it's like her weight watchers thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. like writing down every calorie right. she eats here's the thing so many people talk down about beach reads or it's a light it's an easy read it's a women's fiction it's this it's that it's romance you you have no idea what that woman is going through in her everyday life and if she can read something that takes her out of that that she relates to that grounds her in herself that makes her go yeah isn't it silly that i've got to shave my legs every friggin' night like if, if she finds like community in that read or understanding you've no like saying that it's just an escapist read or it's just fluff is you don't know what she's escaping from. I mean, that's just yeah. ridiculous. But it's also that this idea that books have to be so serious. You know, we've talked before yeah. about literature and what yeah. is literature and they're usually really long, boring, hard to read books. But <laughs> so many of these books are so well written, yeah. but they're not about war or what people right. would think are right. serious they're, subjects, but they're still they're still giving you a glimpse into someone else's life. They're yeah. building characters that you care about. They're creating stories that just suck you in and that you want to keep reading. And yeah, there's so much value in that. Mm-hmm. And they're accessible because you don't have to have the the literary knowledge, the, the knowledge of literature, the understanding of literary elements. You can, you don't have to be able to break it down. Yeah, and exactly. You can just. Grab it and read it, and and it it doesn't matter what your education level is. I mean, I know what Josie's book is going to be in a minute, but so I think hers is not quite in this zone. But like the book that I'm, the books that I talked about, the Virgin River series, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to get together in the end. You know, right, you know, right. there's going to be a certain formula, and it's there's nothing is going to jump out at you and freak you out. So I think there's yeah. value in that for mm-hmm. some people. Yeah, and just recon- recognizing all the different reasons why people read books. Exactly. exactly. You know, like sometimes you want to think, sometimes you want to learn about something new. Sometimes you want to escape. Sometimes you just want to feel good. And the mm-hmm. fact that there are all these different genres that can do that is amazing. And the fact that yeah. this genre would be one that people look down upon is really 
gross because there are millions of people who love reading these types of books and there's so much value in that. Mm-hmm. So but I, I guess I read like the heaviest of all the books. I think you did. Yes, you mm-hmm. did. And I read Me Before You by Jojo Lois and it was fantastic. It was mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. I'd read it before and I remember having liked it, but rereading it again this week, I don't know, maybe I read it too quickly or it wasn't what I expected the first time, but reading it this second time, I was like, how wonderful, like how delicately she handled that situation. So Me Before You mm-hmm. is um, the story of this girl, Louisa Clark. She's 26. Something has happened to her in her life and she's sort of shut down. So she works in a cafe. She works as a waitress and uh, the cafe closes down. Like that, it's so she loses her job, not because she's bad at it. She was actually a very good waitress. And so she's got to go find another job because her family situation is uh, her parents don't make a lot of money. Her dad works, her mom doesn't. Her mom stays home, takes care of her father, grandpa, who's had a stroke. So he's home all the time. He needs care. And uh, Luisa's sister, Katrina or Trina, she, uh, the brilliant one, she actually got pregnant in college. <laughs> so she had to like drop out of school and bring her son home. And, she works in a flower shop and she hates it. She's actually a really, really smart woman. And like her brain is dying and she wants to go back to university. But to do that, Lou, Louisa has to work. She's got to get a job or like her family is, they're, they're in a lot of trouble. So she ends up having the only thing she's qualified to do apart from pole dancing, apparently, <laughs> is uh, the home care. So she's like, great, I'm going to be wiping an old person's bottom, basically. And she's like, I, can't, I don't know if I can handle this. She ends up getting hired by Camilla Trainer to take care of Camilla's son, Will Trainer. Will is in his 30s um, and he is a quadriplegic. He's a C5-6 quad. And that means nothing from basically like a little bit higher than his nipples <laughs> down works. He barely has use of one of his hands so he can move himself around on a wheelchair. This book surprised me in... I mean, you go into it thinking, oh, guy in a wheelchair, this is going to be a Florence Nightingale situation. This is a love story where she falls in love with her patient. Will was um, basically like a robber baron. He was like one of those guys who bought companies, broke them up, sold them, made tons of money. Um, He was just like a go-getter. And he rode a motorcycle. He didn't become a quadriplegic from the motorcycle. He got hit by somebody else's motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And that's the irony in it. And he ends up a quad and he was a bungee jumper. He's climbed mountains. He's like one of those always moving, always active people. And now he'll, you know, he can't do any basic thing for himself. Nothing, not even feed himself. And that's just a horrible situation, Mm -hmm. not just in general for anybody going through it. It's such a life change. But for his particular personality, it's not the life he wants to live. It's not his life. And it doesn't, I know this sounds strange, it doesn't suit his personality. Like, it's wrong for him to be this way. It's one of the things that keeps coming up. So she ends up taking care of him, but she has no, I mean, this guy has serious medical stuff that he needs done. Like he has a catheter and a bag. and um, So he has somebody who takes care of all of that, this great guy named Nathan, who he also has, yeah, all of the minutiae of being a quad that you wouldn't, like you don't think about it. It's not just that they can't move. He can't sweat. So he can't regulate his own body temperature. So yeah. something as simple as having two 
heavy of a blanket on him mm. can give him a fever. Like it can raise his temperature. He can get infections from anywhere. He can get uh, pneumonia from and it just because he hasn't moved enough. And there are just so many things, bed sores, all of this stuff that you can think of that can happen to this guy. Josie. He could die any second. Yeah. Is this book really depressing? <laughs> no. Oh, God, no. Here's the thing. I Maybe it's like you think it's going to be depressing. Yes. But it winds up being really life-affirming. And I know that it's about choice at the end. Ultimately, it's about choice. So Louisa is there and she doesn't know why she's there. And she's not a medical professional. She has no idea why she's there to take care of him. And he's horrible to her. Like he's just absolutely terrible to her. He doesn't want to have anything to do with her. And then uh, like over the course of events, it happens. And this is another thing that's done really well. The relationship builds between them in increments. And it's not necessarily romantic. Like you understand that there's this closeness that's developing between them. <laughs> and there are these few moments like, you know, like she has to brace him to like, help move a pillow or something like that. And he has to like lay against her because he can't, he can't even mm. use his arms to hold himself up. And she's like, she's like, he smells like a man, you know, like there are all of these mm. things about him and like the shape of his hands is very masculine and very attracted to her. And he's still like a good looking dude. And she's, she is attracted to him and she does care about him, but it's, it's never, it doesn't really veer in that direction until the very end. And he actually steps away and says, no. Because he's been planning right from the beginning that in six months, he's going to go to this place called Dignitas, which is a place in Switzerland, and he's going to end his life. Mm -hmm. So she finds that out about, I'd say the inciting incident is when she starts working. And then the end of act one is basically these two beats where she learns that he's tried to kill himself in like a very determined way. Um, where And he's got these huge scars that run all the way up and down his arms because he found a nail sticking out of a wall Aww. and moved his wheelchair forward and back over <gasps> it wait and this book is not depressing no you're not convincing me <laughs> i am i am telling you so his parents said okay we'll give you just give us six months we're going to try and change your mind and louisa was <laughs> to kind of be there just to watch him and make sure he doesn't try anything like with the nail again and they're like you know be upbeat try to make him you know happy in his life and it's kind of ridiculous. She's never going to make him happy in his life. Like right. this is not the life that he wants. And one of the things that he says to her, so she's like, oh, I'm going to take him to the races. We're going to see horses race and it's going to be fun. And it's horrible. He hates it. It's a horrible situation. He doesn't want to do it. And he's like, if you just asked me instead of choosing for me mm -hmm. and his thing over and over again is everybody's making these choices for me. Like his mom says, try to sneak more vegetables into his food. And she's like, trying to mash up the carrots and put gravy on them and feed him carrots. And he's like, why are you trying to sneak carrots into me? Like a teaspoonful of carrots is going to change the quality of my life. And he's like sort of laughing. He's not saying it in like a negative way. And he's like, just, I don't want the carrots. Just like, listen to me mm. and do what I want. I don't, I don't want to eat the carrots. And I don't want to go to the horse races. That's not fun for me. But everybody's making choices for him. Mm. And it turns out, like Dignitas, this ending his life is the one choice that he can make for himself. And he's made it. And in the end, she they go on this vacation and it's wonderful. It's like paradise. And he goes swimming again, but not really swimming, just sort of floating. And she does like this whole <laughs> thing where she's like, right? Because he's a quad. She does this like he's dying. She does this whole thing where she's like, I'm in love with you. And she's kissed and she's sitting in the wheelchair with him and she's kissing him. It's very romantic. It's beautiful. And then and he's like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't, 
want, basically, I don't want to have sex with you because I can't have sex with you the way that I would. Like, I don't, I don't want things done to me. He's like, I want to do things to you mm-hmm. and I can't and I never will be. Well, he can't participate at all, right? No, because see, here's the thing. You learn a lot about quads when you're reading this because she actually has like a lot of information in there. It's all different. Like some quads and he's one of the quads who can feel skin. He could definitely get an erection. He can feel, he can't move his body, but he can still feel. And he can feel people touching him. He can, he can't really tell heat difference very much, but definitely pressure and touch. And he's actually very sensitive and he's in a lot of pain all the time. Mm. And that's kind of like a sad thing. But yeah. Like, and he never complains about it. This book, what I, what I really loved about it was that it's not, it's not preachy either way. There are characters in it who are like, what his, what he's doing is wrong. Like he, his parents shouldn't help him end his life. He's in a very vulnerable situation and it it might just be easier for them if their son was just gone because literally every day of your life when you're that dependent on others it's and you can get sick so easily you know you're always fighting infection the hospital mm-hmm. you, you're always one step away from going to the hospital um that like the just having that person die is mm-hmm. kind of easier you know in a certain way so i think it's it's um Luke's mom, who won't accept it, she's like, I can't, I, I don't want you in the house if you're going to go and be with him when he ends his life, because that's, people are taking advantage of him. It's give him more time and he'll get used to it. But he already has made mm. his choice. Ultimately, the theme of the book and the, what I really thought was delicately handled was just that this was his choice and this was the only choice that he could make. Mm-hmm. And that maybe it isn't, if you're a quadriplegic and every other choice in your life has been taken away from you, even like when you eat, what you eat, how much, how big of a bite is put onto your fork, like you don't even get to control how right. big a mouthful it is that you eat. Yeah. And if this is your one, the one thing that you get to choose, maybe let people choose that. But there's no preaching in it. There's no like, this is right or wrong. Even at the end, Louisa is, she's super torn about it. She's like, I don't know if he did the right thing, but he did what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what's important enough for me. Yeah. And she's devastated by it. Obviously she's devastated because she basically hands herself to him. Like, I love you. I want to be with you. And it's not enough, but it was uplifting because he does finally, he says goodbye to her and he does admit, I, I love you too. I did fall in love with you and you're, this is probably the best six months of my life. But it's still not enough. And I loved that for a love story, for someone to actually be like, I can't just live for you. I can't just live for this love affair. You know, that's not enough for me. I want to be able to bungee jump and ride motorcycles. And that's the person I am. And that's gone for me. I want to die. And he makes the choice. See, I I read this this book from my book group and I was the only one. I I don't, I love the book, but the ending, I just... I just wanted them to be together. And it was so hard for me. I didn't like, okay, here's the thing. I didn't like the ending, but it was perfect. No, of course. It really it had was. to end that way. Um, and you sit there going, God, why couldn't he have just, why couldn't she have been enough? Why couldn't that, she have been enough? Think about it because she just wouldn't have been. I like anyway, the I idea just, of him having agency. I think there are so many, so many stories and so many characters. And, and maybe this is an internalization also of, of being a woman. There are so many times where it's a, a telling of we need to put our lives on hold or we need to, mm. to sacrifice 
some aspect of what we want to fulfill somebody else's needs. And mm-hmm. as sad as I think this book is, I really like the agency that he has to say, no, this is my choice. It's not enough for me to live for you. I have to also live for myself because I I matter. And mm-hmm. there's so many characters that we see where they're trapped. Love conquers all or like, right, like love is the ultimate prize that you get. And that's like the message that you get from a lot of love stories. Yeah. It's like, once you fall in love, your life is fixed. He's like, no, I did fall in love with you. And my life is still not what I want it to be. Or you fall in love with someone at some personal cost. Like, well, it's okay that you're going to give up this aspect of yourself. Yeah. And you can't can't just live your life for another person. It also just makes you think about what what is living your life? Like once things are taken away from you, like your mobility, your your being able to feed yourself, being able to do anything on your own? Are you still living your life the way you want to live it? Right. At, at what, at what point, like, what are the, what are the things that are crucial to you to feel like you're, you're, it's still worth being alive? And I, and think, I think it's that, probably a little different for, for different people, but. Right. It's and also, she does bring up those other points. So right. Louisa joins this online, like message board with a lot of quads on it and a lot of quad gear, caregivers. And a lot of the quads are like, my life still has value. So you do see this other side of it where they're like, I still do stuff with the same injury as him, with the same health problems, and they still get out in the world and they love it. And they they actually find enjoyment in their life again. It's just will never would. Do you see what it, it's like? Yeah, everyone's it's different. about I mean, that individual. Exactly. Okay. So uh, um, Aileen, do you want to do your final thoughts? Yeah. So uh, Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner. If you just want a book about a really, about smart, complex, interesting women, her books always have that. They're great escapist reads. They're also just brilliantly written and just engrossing. You can just get completely lost in her books. I just, I think I've liked every single book of hers I've ever read. And I'm pretty sure I've read all of them. I'll go back through my Amazon account every now and then to make sure I haven't missed any. Because I'm like, does she have? And it's always like a special treat if there's one that I've missed somehow. So yeah, I just love all of her books. Fantastic. Alyssa. Bridget Bridget Jones's Diary. Yes. Um, It's a fun read. It's fun to get a glimpse into the life of someone. And I really like the way it's told through her personal diary entries. It's fun. It's yes, it's formulaic. um, But you also feel like you're in on this little secret that it's a modern retelling or a different retelling of Pride and Prejudice and the characters and their names. Because they even mention Colin Firth and Hugh Grant in the book. And then to have them be the really? characters that are the actors that play the characters in the movie and then all the references to Pride and Prejudice. And it's very fun. It's a fun read. And for me, um, I, I read Me Before You by Jojo Moyes. And this is weighty and it is an issues book, but it's, it is also a great love story. And it's a story of a young woman who very much in the vein of all of these other books is very much about a young woman who's trying to navigate her life and, and ultimately learn how to live her life to the best. What were you going to say, Lauren? He looks like you really needed to say something. I have to go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. But before you leave, we should say goodbye to our listeners because this is our final episode of the year and the end of season one. We'll be back January 10th for our second season. So happy holidays, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Fiction Between Friends. To find the show notes for this episode or to subscribe and get new episodes delivered automatically, visit fictionbetweenfriends.com. Also, if you happen to have a moment and you've liked what you've heard, please help support our podcast 
by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We would be immensely grateful. Thank you for listening.